0: The National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. NAVA in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts.
1: You, the Executive Director of Nava, and here with us at Nava HQ today is Sarah Goffman. It is so great to be able to get, some, get to spend some time with you.
0: Thank you for having me, Esther. It's a
1: pleasure being here. You're very lovely. There is so much to talk to you about. There's, um, there's so much to ask you about your work. There's so much to ask you about the political and the commercial and the kind of uh, consumerist environment in which it sits Um, and I guess also um, the work that you're making lately so let's start at the very very end and tell me what you're working on right now and then let's just kind of draw out from there because I know we can have lots to talk about.
0: Well I have just this endless obsession with plastics Mm -hmm. and I can't stop collecting them, we, yeah, the, the the pollution that's on my doorstep is a big issue, and yeah, I do call it vandalism, because it's in, it it upsets order, like, it's going to go into the stormwater drain, so that's sitting on my doorstep, and I guess people get out of their cars, and whatever they've consumed just sort of drops out, maybe they're rushing to save their babies or something and <laughs> it's they don't like have to, some heroic <laughs> reason they don't for have time to pick it up it's really common though yeah, and um I just you know, I don't think I'm going to save the world in just cleaning up my street, however, I think that it does make there is something significant about it it's it's doing my duty, my duty of care for what's around me, so there's those clean up Australia Days and all of those ideas whereas I think it's my 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 occupation is is over time to just try and make the world a better place. Leave it a bit better than where how you found it. And I think that ideology should be actually really <laughs> more commonly practiced. So in my studio God, this endless array of plastic bottles <laughs> and people are always proffering somebody texted me this morning did i want some of her colored shampoo bottles that she'd ah. finish with and i was like oh yeah baby <laughs> i sure do i mean if i could i would travel the world or have people send me their empty bottles and maybe this is a call for those things. I want big ones. And I know I see TV shows in, in America. They're drinking vodka in car parks <laughs> out of enormous, like there must be industrial. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I've asked a few friends. I haven't gone to America in a long time. I've asked them, can you just bring me back some empty bottles? I don't want the, I don't want the contents. I just want that vessel. It's a symbolism of the vessel. Like over time, it's been used in, you know, so many artworks. And I think it symbolizes consumption. This is what that vessel holds. Single-use plastics hold, you know, those nutritious drinks and Mm. whatever Mm. sort of um, energy sort of calories are in there. So it's not all bad, so I'm not glorifying plastics, but I'm also, I mean, I'm, I'm critical of this mass production and the huge pollution, but I'm also celebrating it because it is the miraculous um, material. And I'm a materialist, like I'm a child of, you know, born in the 60s pop culture and all of that, like, you know, we we grew up having as, as many plastic things in the house. I think my father loved plastic. It must have... And it must have seemed miraculous at a time where suddenly it just seemed
1: possible to make anything in plastic, give it any texture, any colour, you know, that... Um, Uh, that that notion of the the artist as someone who can create something that didn't previously exist, you know, that goes back to classical Greek times of being um, distrustful or resentful of the the poet, the imitator, the the person who could, you know, artfully lie. And then suddenly it's, you know, within our power um, to make all sorts of plastic things, to to, to do that, uh, to, to print in 3D, uh and to create objects that um as you say the vessel if we think about the vessel in art we can think of rarefied objects uh, depicted in still life or um beautiful ceramics that last for hundreds of years Um, and yet the vessel today is almost you know more disposable than, than what it's
0: containing But what's funny is that plastic has a shelf life of thousands of years. Yes. yes. So it does. You know, it's affected by sunlight, and you know there are disposable, um, sort of biodegradable plastics. But it's now I do I joke with um my friends about the fact that you know if global as global warming the sea levels rise, will all of you with your bronze and marble, that's going to be sinking to the bottom. My stuff's just going to be floating on top. (laughs) So who's, you know, the cream always rises to the top. I don't know. Like There's definitely an irony in sort of appropriating these plastics and then converting them into sort of Ming and very precious antiquities. And that's what's on my desk. Like there's an obsession with it, with seeing patination and saying, and I do sort of mine the Silk Road um, and all of those decorative styles from India through to Japan, because it fascinates me how one decorative idea comes from the Middle East and it gets converted and sort of changed along the Silk Road and it it's that it's that old you know the children's game of chinese whispers and things get distorted and as and i mean my my own hand distorts as well because i'm not a machine i i try and copy the fleur-de-lis for instance and i never get it right i (laughs) i'm always you know your breath Changes that action of the permanent marker. Mm. So
1: now, see that is a fascinating. Um, just imagining the that shift that you know uh, that that evolution in, um, in 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 pattern along the Silk Road, but also the way that um, that creating and applying a pattern changes not just meaning in terms of you know language and systems of signification, but 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 you know adds. Value to something that that we've you know previously not valued. You know the fleur de lis was the mark of certain houses of French aristocracy, and then we think about what 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 are the elements of the coats of arms of of um, British aristocracy, or the um, the ways in which um, uh, the depiction of tools and hand tools in um, totalitarian cultures in in public spaces on the edifice of buildings and so on the way that we embellish things um and the way that we um um you know draw the the particular you know the, the lines the patterns that we create on something absolutely change its meaning but then what what you're doing with the plastics is um drawing on Um, using that other meaning of drawing, drawing upon the the kind of... the the, the form, the heritage, what it seems to evoke, um, and and then applying patterns that are entirely misplaced for the material in terms of the plastic, but so apt when you think about, as you're just saying, that, um, in fact, these things are going to last for, you know, many, many hundreds, not thousands of years.
0: Well, I think I remember actually seeing... Mm. I know Absolute Vodka, they were having artists sort of design their bottles. Oh, yes. And then maybe it was Perrier. One Christmas, I went to someone's house and they had a special Christmas Perrier bottle that had some sort of decorative pattern on it that was made specifically for consumers at Christmas. They love their Perrier and they have a very pretty bottle. <laughs> mm. And I think that that was the seed of the idea of what I went on to do. Oh, wow. Plus the thousands of other artists in the world who are making <laughs> amazing things. But I'm I'm always trying to get to the bottom of things and where, where the penny dropped and where I thought, oh, I can make a difference here. I can, you know, personalise something and, you know, people... Nowadays they do all the diamantes and the glitter things Mm. and, you know, Louis Vuitton and I think Louis Vuitton was having artists sort of graffiti their handbags (laughs) and, and then it was as a permanent thing and those sorts of things like when status, those status symbols are sort of turned around and... I mean, as an artist, that's my job, is to look at things and then turn them around and make them slightly uncomfortable. Like, I saw a Louis Vuitton garbage can on the internet the other day. <laughs> it was somebody who had silkscreened or, you know, just stenciled their auto bin with Louis Vuitton, and then it, the, joke, the line was, this is Kim Kardashian's bin, and the irony of doing that and sort of having there's such an obsession with status and money and you go to any any country where people are not so rich and there's even more Gucci and Louis Vuitton like the the fakes and the these sorts of giant watches and things jewelry and Plastics have sort of served this purpose in making the fake pearls and, you know, costume jewellery, all of the fake ivory. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I don't want people to be killing elephants for their tusks. (laughs) If you're going to make plastic ivory ornaments, please be my guest. Just do it in an environmental way. Don't pollute. But, you know... My dad used to have one of those ivory trinkets. It was like a ball that was carved inside other balls.
1: Ah, yes.
0: And it would fascinate me, let alone the fact that it was made of ivory, like maybe bone from some animal, I don't know. But, I mean, art is around us, and I guess... We're always looking at it and seeing how it sits with us like I don't just sit with an object and take it for granted like I really look at it and try to break it down and see like I guess I've been doing art for a long time so I'm always thinking what what more art can I do like how can I convert this moment into art like Bit tiring, Esther.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it must also be quite deeply energising. I mean, I'm art, joking. Is a, art is a way of, um, of of seeing and thinking. Particularly, you know, we think about um, um, artistic process as as a kind of an orientation to the world. I think must be oh, particularly it's... extraordinarily heightened in you because if you're always so conscious and aware of things that are discarded. And, and seeing those as being something that has um, a life um, and an environmental um, residue but also something that is there to be endowed with a different kind of meaning. Like that must be quite
0: an exhausting sense of like a heightened perception <laughs> that you have. I think it's connecting and storytelling so they you know they have designated uses and I remember in Sydney there used to be those duty-free shops do you remember downtown duty-free they come around I don't know maybe they are but Mm. they used to have an orange and green bag and I thought about those words duty-free I was like what a great concept <laughs> duty being a financial thing mm-hmm. but your duty and mm. what is the designated duty of objects but also of us mm. and I made a work to do with those duty-free ha- um, bags and you know tried to explore it did some paintings sort of went into it and I still feel like it's sort of the basis of my operating system (laughs) is is that also that as an artist we're free to work with anything that we want and you build up a lexicon over time of what you work with but i've always had the plastic fascination since i was a teenager and my parents would bring home the shopping in these heavy duty bags and then use them for the trash and i thought how can you be throwing away? This is really, this is really strong. Like this is the same material as my raincoat is made out of, and you just spent a hundred dollars buying a raincoat. Why not <laughs> convert this? So I was always—I think I was an artist from a young age, even though I didn't know it when I was young. I was always, you know, loving ornaments and you know collecting things. I did make things, but I, it, it I didn't see it as my calling and. Luckily, in my 20s, I went to art school and realized, oh, this is, this is a world that gets my brain going and gives me a job, like actually a real job, not a paid job, but <laughs> a, an occupation that mm. will be my lifetime, like there's no retiring. There's looking at the world. And I, we, I was in Tasmania once, I did a residency down there and in Queenstown, actually, the most devastated of course. part of Tasmania, which I was glad to see actually, nature was reclaiming that I mean they had done some atrocious the acid rain had decimated some parts, but in other parts I don't know if the mine if it was the mining com- company or if it was simply Mother Nature <laughs> coming back in and dealing with what was there anyway there was no garbage there was there wasn't you know coke cans or trash and there was no mount franklin bottles (laughs) so over in my residency i collected rocks esther it i love anything that's on the ground obviously i collected rocks that spoke to me and called out to me and i filled my room with rocks like so it's the gleaner is this I think it's really elemental in me is that I am going to um, find a decorative or something aesthetic in our environment and I mean a coke can yeah you would say is that decorative well if you break it down and cut it up and you can do I tell my students you don't. You just need to look in the trash can, even if that trash can is empty. There's still inspiration in there. There is a whole world. I mean, oh, I'm into philosophy, so I read a lot, and so I have an active imagination. Luckily, because if I were <laughs> to go to prison, I would not be bored. <laughs> Well, let's hope
1: work doesn't take you there, though. How fascinating would that be? Um, now I'm thinking about, you know, prison trays and sort of objects that, that that circulate in in a prison and and what people have before them, and and then you compare that to the ubiquitous Mount Franklin bottle or the Coke can or, you know, the things that we haven't necessarily chosen to make an intrinsic part of our lives, you know, the, the the objects that we use every day, the way that we touch them and handle them, the tools that we use, the way that we understand where they came from, you know, these are the parameters of our lives. Um, and yet when we, when we have a relationship with those objects, which isn't about Um, connecting them to what's unique about ourselves but rather just you know us being you could imagine ourselves as the sort of you know the the node of distribution for the disposable you know each one of us are just passing on these objects that are actually quite similar
0: well it's on such a grand scale. Yes, like If you go to Westfield and you see the garbage containers oh. and the food court and it's just being emptied 12 times a day, maybe more, I don't know, but it's on such a huge, epic scale. I'm questioning. And I mean, there's a lot of people who have the zero garbage and they're not, you know, there's a lot more awareness of it. Mm. And since, since making my work I mean maybe in 2005 I was collecting plastic bags for an exhibition and I'd door knock in my area and people would come out with their you know jeans west and all those heavy duty sort of colored plastic bags which sort of I collected and used and whereas nowadays those are far fewer that's gone into brown paper um, a lot which I don't know if it's that much better but mm-hmm. the co- corporations have listened to an extent about to an extent it's the single-use bags that were worse and you know you're buying a two-liter bottle of w- milk why do you need a bag it's already in it you know <laughs> or when they package a banana and like come on like yeah. It's, it's, it's such a mindset
1: that we have to get out of. And I think that's, um, you know, when you, um, when you walk into a space and see your work and so there's that first perception that, well, this must be a precious material, and then you realise that, that it's plastic. And then you look closely at, at the work and the detail. That is... Um, that's surely a way of shifting that mindset.
0: Well, just for me, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the sort of labour... You know first i have to clean the vessel and you know i sort of getting those sticky labels off is sometimes you know it's hours of you know my fingers picking away and but it's also like it's my duty it's a sort of way of meditating on what design it's going to be and the whole process of you know it really slows things down like it's not instant gratification, even though that's what I want. It's it it's it's forces me to to take that care and give it that attention. And I feel like there is some sort of spiritual energy that I am confluent with. Is that a word? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean some an old hippie who I used to know, she used to say that there was an energy that came out of artists when they were working. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, confluence in the sense of, you know, things coming together,
1: but then congruence in the sense that there's mm. almost this alignment. And, and, and I think that spiritual aspect, I mean, um, spiritualism or spirituality is about, it can be about quietness and meditation, but it can also be about actively making values or transforming values or having an experience where something that... Um, had seemed every day uh, becomes a ritual, maybe alone as a meditation, maybe with others. And so there's something that, you know, there is a change. There is a, you know, there's a, a, a value that's, that's expressed. And the way that you describe the time that you spend with each vessel, I mean, even... Um, deliberately seeing it as a vessel and calling it a vessel something that had a purpose that was a container that wasn't just it's not rubbish, it's not plastic, this is something that continues to be a vessel and yet your work
0: gives it um, force and and, and, and value in a very different way Well I hope so, I mean I really I mean those Buddhist masters who'd sit there preparing their inks for the Mm. calligraphy and I mean, I, I worship that, that ideology and that mode of slowing down and not taking for everything for granted, not just consuming for the sake of it, conspicuous consumption. I mean, I'm a big consumer, and I feel guilt about it. So maybe it's my way of making a rep- repairing that, that sort of guilt, that white Western guilt being too fat and eating too much and sort of you know it's not unquestioning like I've got a good brain but there's there is something that I'm seeking and we're not going to psychoanalyze me (laughs) (laughs) but there is there's a fulfillment that I get in the studio which is you know, looking looking myself in the mirror, like, very closely and, and saying, well, this is it, this is the food I eat. Sometimes I buy stuff in the supermarket merely for the packaging. Like, I'll eat it and then I'll paint it or I'll mm-hmm. transform it. But that idea of transformation and alchemy to convert something, it's an old age, you know. I think that, that it's been done since the beginning, I mean the ancestors in the Aboriginal um, dreaming and doing um, the cave art. Not the cave art, but, you know, it's like a menu sometimes of what's available. What we eat, you know, you are what you eat and, and those things and those packaged drinks and things that, you know, might have all sorts of chemicals that your body isn't prepared for or is now having to ingest and the ramifications of those things, processed foods. I mean there's a lot of awareness about that. I'm not gonna lecture about it, but I think about those things. And sugar and the slave trade go hand in hand. And so, you know, you I do I think about that. Yeah, those energy drinks, you know, they come at a cost. And yet they're consumed so readily. And I think, well, am I countering it by putting my Ming pattern on it? Like, I don't know. It might make a few people question the packaging that they're buying in the supermarket and sort of saying no to it. I don't know, it's a big problem an enormous problem and and the making of the work um
1: in the way that you do and but also that that whole process that that's slowing down i mean i think that is a that's something that you know when we think about what it means to be an artist the, the great risk of just embarking on the project of, of sustaining across a lifetime um, that the possibility of making work um, but then also um, what it means in practice, in in the in, in in the in the doing of practice to be an artist, which is that that focus and that rigor and um, the the dedication to craft, but also that you're willing to devote so much time and and patience to individual oh, things. Esther, it's
0: compulsion. <laughs> it is actually. I mean, I guess I'm greedy for entertainment so i make work i don't mind like if it takes a long time it takes a long time i mean sometimes i want to rush it but that never gets me anywhere but taking time and making something converting something into something else and then being able to wake up the next day and see that fills me with joy it's that na- there's something different in this world is that I and I simply have the tools and now the knowledge of how to how to make those things um, is is very fulfilling I am yeah I'm addicted to working hard and i I think you you don't get anywhere if you don't work hard I mean sure these are these are ideas that of course they're banding about in in graduate school of management all the time. But it really is true on a personal level. You, if you don't please yourself, then how can you sleep with yourself? You know, I have I have to tire myself somehow and actually sitting down and doing the work is, is not very tiring except that my hands like, oh, I have to stretch them out. I've got all these yoga exercises just for my hands and for my Amazing. eyes like I, I used to have fantastic vision now i'm on 2.5 like <laughs> magnifiers but i mean it's it's good this this is this is my job like i have a role which when i was in my 20s before i went to art school yeah i mean i was into art and always went to galleries and stuff but i i really didn't well we have to have something to live for and making art seems, is the thing that I live for. It's connecting. And of course, that sort of, that story that's told, and but that sort of con- conceptual gymnastics and having something delicious to in the brain to sort of feed on that has infinite possibilities. And I, I got to say, sometimes I have an opinion about an artwork because I've just glanced at it and I think I know everything about it. And then 10 years later, somebody tells me something about it or I read about it and my opinion changes. And that's a really exciting thing to actually have a belief. That's an opinion, but a belief alter. That's transformation. And I think humans have this amazing potential. We've got these big brains to transform our thinking and to see things in other ways. And your opinion about something will inform mine. In art, it seems much more specific, you know, the artist's intention. And then, you know, then this whole world of what their their motivation is and where their sources come from is very beautiful. Like it's this big dance that we're all complicit in if we'd only all participate (laughs) (laughs) well I think it's something that uh, more and more
1: of us um, need and desire and want to participate in and more and more of us are realising just what is at stake um, um, you know artistically, ethically but also politically if we do and if we don't participate Um, and you've just given us so many different ways to think about what art is and means, and what practice means, and what compels us. So enormous
0: thanks to you, Sarah. It's been so fantastic to get to talk. Oh, Esther, <laughs> thank you. I I don't know where I'm going with my brain, but it's I think it, a great. That's a great. But place I'm getting to be going. goosebumps just <laughs> thinking about it. And yeah, thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.